everyone. We want to welcome you to the Crossroads Podcast. Your host today will be Dr. Lee Adams, and your co-host will be Dr. Charles Holly. We are excited to have them on the podcast tonight, and we will be ready to roll in about 30 seconds. Get this thing on the road. We are so excited. The topic today will be about racism in America. And they will share, expose, and explain what we as Americans, not just Black Americans, but all Americans, should be excited about and expect to change. Change comes when we put change in action. It's about us putting it into action. So we are so excited for this is part two of the podcast. We see that we have Dr. Holly that has connected. We are just waiting right now for Dr. Lee Adams and then we will turn thing over to them let them move forward. Yes, yes. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Holly. Good morning, Dr. Bruce Smith. How are you doing? I am doing great. We are still waiting on Dr. Adams to get on. He said it was online. We just not have not connected as of yet. So we'll be ready to roll this thing in just a minute. We hope that you all are energized and ready to go for an exciting, exciting podcast today, part two. Yes, I know. Hoping he can get connected. Hope he hasn't gotten. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, Doc, Doc, Dr. Smith, we had a wonderful time last week, and um, I'm just looking forward to it today. Yes, it was. It was uh, some of the people that uh, listened to the podcast and those that went back and downloaded and those that just listened to it online uh, got a lot of comments, positive feedback, and they wanted more uh, about this podcast. Uh, so I, I guess he's yeah. has forgotten how to connect it again. <laughs> <laughs> He's online. He has not uh, connected his call button. So, yeah. So I'm looking forward to talking about these uh, the particular institution that I think uh, Dr. Adams is going to bring up today. We're going to talk about religion and slavery. I'm just excited about it. Yes, that's it's it's so much to talk about about when you come up with racism and a different areas and the different uh, things that we have to face uh, as a people, uh, not just black people, but uh, all types of people. So we are, um, we're excited. Uh, Absolutely. I'm trying to get him, hope he knows he got to hit that call button down at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know he has a lot going on today, and he's trying to get himself in position to where he can, he can get in. 
know if can't call him because <laughs> he's connected with his phone. So it's like. Yeah. Good morning. It's gotten there. So good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so very much. We're gonna decrease holding. <laughs> okay. I can hear I can hear you, but you couldn't hear me and because we weren't connected. I want to thank you for all of you holding on this morning. I am podcasting live from uh the uh wolf brothers funeral home on this morning uh that is located at 128 south 7th street in west memphis arkansas and i want to thank you all for holding on um the podcast is being directed from wolf brothers because there is a service that will be held at 11 o'clock i've been asked to uh, facilitate that service and as a result i had to leave home very early to be here on the podcast uh, this morning and uh, because of that uh, it took me a little while to to get my bearings together i'm usually uh, at a uh, stationary location but to all of the listeners this morning we are here and we thank you for holding on. This is another segment of Crossroads. And Crossroads is where North and South meets East and West. I want to thank you for holding on. It has been a great uh, podcast so far. Thank God for Professor Dr. C.L. Holly, uh, who is also co-hosting on this morning. Uh, as we uh, look at topics of interest uh, with uh, leaders in business and industry, men and women uh, in education and sports and politics and government, health and religion and medicine, and much, much more as it relates to our families, to our homes, to our communities and our uh, religious organizations. I don't want to thank you for listening on this morning. Thank you, uh, Dr. Smith, uh, as well as Dr. Holly, uh, for uh, carrying this episode forward uh, on today. I thank uh, you, Professor Holly, who is a writer and president and CEO and, and speaker in your own right, uh, Toastmasters International Award winners, uh, you have developed a prolific and engaging writing and speaking style. And we're speaking uh, today uh, from the topic of uh, race and religion, racism, religion uh, in America. Last week, we talked about uh, racism in America. What is it good for? Uh, and so we delved into uh, some topics uh, that led us to today's topic, which deals with the role of religion, the role of church, and the role of leaders of religious institutions uh, who uh, had a hand in perpetuating and uh, in involving the church in 
the institution of slavery. We want to look at racism and religion in America then and now. And briefly, we will examine the role of religion, the church and re church leadership in sanctioning uh, and endorsing slavery as a legitimate institution in the subjugation of an entire race. And I know there are some people who would want to say to us, why are we still dealing with the issue of race in America in 2020? Well, the reason why is because if we were living in a society in which there was no such thing as separate but equal, and when we were, are living in a society in which race has not ever been a factor in its formation, then we wouldn't have to deal with race. Uh, we wouldn't have to deal with race if we are talking about every segment of the American population is uh, enjoying a life of liberty, a life of the pursuit of happiness, a life in which homes and families uh, can grow up uh, without being subject to some brutalities and segregations and degradations that have taken place. And when America gets to the point where America uh, becomes a society in which it is faceless because it is not looking at skin color uh, for equal opportunities, then we will stop talking about race. And so we want to thank you for listening in because, first of all, we acknowledge that our major emphasis <clears throat> will be on race and religion and the church in America. But understanding that the American church's roots and practices came from practices from the European church, particularly Roman Catholicism, in which uh, it sanctioned so-called holy crusades and holy wars, which gave legitimacy to kings and countries to wage war against other kings, other countries and nations under the guise of Christianizing them but also reaping the benefits of the conquered nation's riches, its resources, its people, and its culture and heritage. Our first major premise is that most of these wars were not for the purpose of conversion, since Christianity is based upon the premise of peace and love and the coming together in unity and not upon the forced imposition of Christianity upon a people. Number two, our second major premise is that politics often uses religion, the church and its leaders to maintain its legitimacy. So in European religion, the Pope himself gave his blessings and his sanctions to the Crusades and the Crusaders and also sent his religious emissaries called priests and friars and bishops to reinforce the actions of the political institution as being legitimate and God-ordained. The Bible was used to justify slavery and slave owners as gatekeepers who came to liberate blacks from their own, our own demise, 
and our own condition as sinners. Yes, the Bible was used. And so much of early American Christianity identity is predicated on a pro-slavery theology. How was it? The naming of slave ships like grace and mercy and hope. In other words, they are our liberators and they're carrying us to a place, to a new land where we will be liberated from our own demise. And so not only were slave owners and uh, slave traders uh, involved in the slave uh, market, but churches and institutions and even universities sponsored these ships. Colleges and universities are now coming to terms and coming to grips with their involvement in the slave trade like Georgetown University. The church reasoned that enslavement would allow blacks to encounter the Christian message and thus their internal, their souls, our souls would be saved from sin. Some churches and ministers promoted the idea that Africans were the descendants of Ham, cursed in the book of Genesis, and thus enslavement was fitting to us and was our just punishment. And that punishment was now being carried out by them as mandated by God. And then in addition to that, the Bible was used. And there was even in 1807, the publishment, the publication of a book called a slave Bible, which removed portions of scripture out of that Bible. And it also the, included the exclusion of the Exodus story that could inspire us as slaves and blacks who were in slavery against rebellious thinking. Take out that which might inspire them and only include that which would be used to validate why we are keeping blacks in slavery. Slave codes were enacted that for forbade and for, for uh, that I had the forbidding of the teaching of reading and writing to slaves. Don't put a pen and a pencil in their hand, a stylus. Do not give them the opportunity to learn the King English so that they will begin to read and interpret the book. And then the inspiration of the Holy Spirit coming into their hearts, into their minds, will lead them to a higher knowledge that what they have been taught by us has really been distorted. White churches and white pastors taught from the theology of the passivity 
and docility and being obedient to your masters and those in charge over you. However, some blacks regain their freedom uh, and others escape uh, because we know that uh, some blacks were freed, some blacks were able to pay for their freedom and then there were the kindness of many uh, slave masters, amen. Uh, one uh, gentleman in particular that I may have cited before, uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Cassius Clay out of Kentucky, uh, actually freed many slaves and actually paid those that were in uh, on his plantation uh, wages for their labor. So uh, there were those uh, who in the arena of politics and religion who worked tirelessly to help uh, to abolish slavery. But unfortunately, those who were in the church and those who were in politics and business were in the minority. And so uh, they uh, that were that helped us to escape were the ones that gave us the Bible. And those that kept us, they used it for justification. But I want to tell you, when we learn, it gave us a new sense of a hope of liberation. And God is a God of liberation and transformation. But however, as our, the title of our podcast is Crossroads, there has to be some reconciling within the minds and the hearts of men, amen, about the challenge of believing in a God that they were told that it was his will to enslave us, enslave them, but still believe in a God that also can liberate them and liberate us. Yes, this is the crossroads that we are in today. And now we have to examine how it is possible that we can understand the church that gave spiritual sanction to racism, both overtly by the messages it taught and covertly by the critique and criticism that it did not raise. It has been documented that Georgetown's president at the time sold 272 slaves to pay off a massive debt that the university owned. How can we reconcile the belief in Jesus when a Jesuit priest and others who are part of the church owned and sold slaves? We are at a crossroads again. Dr. Holly. I have said and made my speech, and now I ask you to rescue me at this time. <laughs> Good morning, Dr. Adams. Oh, I was just sitting there swimming in what you were sharing with us. Oh, so perfectly fitting and so well summed up, so beautifully said. And you are absolutely correct. Every single thing that you shared with us just really um, uplifted my soul. Dr. Adams, some people have to realize that the present is an offspring of the past. 
So in order for one to fully understand the present, they must gain a full understanding of the past. When we're talking about slavery and religion, let us, let us begin by saying that most Christian scholars today agree that slavery is, in fact, anti-Christian. So some may ask, then why? Why was the awful practice of forced slavery in the Atlantic slave trade promoted and allowed by many in the Christian church? Well, I've come up with one simple answer, and it is a, a simple acronym. It's WPP, WPP, and that stands for Wealth, Power, and Prestige. So let us, let us point out first that most people who colonized the southern territories of, of North America were English Protestants, and they fled England to avoid religious persecution because Protestantism at that time in England was not popular. So they were by trade farmers, agricultural people, and they came to North America to work the land, the land which the Indians, by the way, were being forced out of. Okay, so they grew what we called cash crops, and those are crops that one can turn into cash by giving them to the Atlantic trade. Okay. So cash crops are things like cotton, soybeans, rice, tobacco, sugarcane, etc. So they made lots and lots of money growing these crops and trading them. And so these Christian people, though, they needed people to work the land. The more the land, the more people that you needed. Thus, in comes the free labor of the Africans. The Africans were specifically shipped to North America for that purpose, to grow crops. Now, let's talk about wealth. When I said the WPP, wealth. Um, the bodies of the enslaved serve as America's largest financial asset, according to an online article entitled How Slavery Became America's first big business. It's dated August 2019. The article says that these black people were forced to maintain America's most exported commodity in 60 years. Now get this, from 1801 to 1862, the amount of cotton picked daily by an enslaved person increased 400%. The profits from cotton propelled the U.S. into a position as one of the leading economies in the world and made the South its most prosperous region. So then the ownership of the enslaved people increased wealth for Southern planters so much that by the dawn of the Civil War, get this, the Mississippi River Valley had more millionaires, millionaires per capita than any other region. Wow. Money, money, money. That's wealth. Now let's talk about the power portion. Let's, let's, let's talk about the, the famous three-fifths compromise and how slaves were used to gain political power. The three-fifths compromise was a compromise reached among state delegates during the 1787 
constitutional convention. It determined how enslaved persons would be counted. When determining a state's total population for legislative representation and taxing purposes. So it was very, very important. So as this population number would then be used to determine the number of seats in the House of Representatives. So then slave owners were trying to get, were trying to figure out how to count slaves in order to gain political power. Wow. Thus, they came up with the famous three-fifths compromise, whereas a slave would be counted as three-fifths of a person. And why did they do it? To gain political power. That's the power part. Now let's go to the prestige. Slaves were considered as property. The more slaves one owned, the more social prestige one received. It would be like saying today, I own 10 vacation properties, or I own 30 businesses, or I have 100 rental properties scattered throughout the United States of America. Or one would say back in those days, I own 200 slaves, and it would give them a certain amount of prestige, clout, notoriety in society. So the WPP, the wealth, power, and the prestige, just combines with something that we call in the Bible the classic case of 1 John 2 and 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. So to just sum it up, given all these, Christians in the South then had to find ways to morally justify slavery. And just like you said, Dr. Adams, what did they use? They used the Bible, the supposed curse of Ham, the letters of Paul and Peter that, that tell slaves, oh, slaves, obey your masters. Listen to the words of the sermon from a preacher from 1861. This came from a pastor and slave owner named Thornwell. Now, he declared that Christians should not feel guilty about owning slaves, and here are portions of his fiery message. The relation of the master and the slave stands on the same foot with the other relations of life, Thornwell insisted. In itself, it is not inconsistent with the will of God. It is not sinful. The Christian scriptures not only fail to condemn, they as distinctly sanction slavery as any other social condition of man. Now, can you imagine hearing that when you go to church? Dr. Adams, what do you think when you hear that coming from the preacher? Dr. Holly, it would be very hard for uh, those of us who are uh, deprived of, of educational opportunity uh, and the ability to debate uh, the uh, merits of God's word uh, to be able to refute uh, what has been said uh, purportedly coming from uh, a man of God coming from uh, the word of God, 
and coming from the institution that had been ordained of God. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is why so many, I believe, Dr. Adams, so many Christians, faithful followers, believed it. And they, too, sold into the system of slavery and sold into this idea of blacks being inferior and doomed to slavery and less than human beings. It's because so many people in a, in, in a position of leadership in the church promoted it. And it's and it's, it's it's definitely sad. And let me just also uh, piggyback on that, uh, as far as the, uh, we understand the wealth, uh, how it increased. Uh, there was a, a cash crop uh, that nobody else actually had uh, in Europe uh, that could match it. Uh, there was. Uh, the manpower uh, that was used that could nobody in Europe match it. And then that was the power, as you said, uh, that came with it. And of course, we can understand when you have a three-fifths amendment and you have all of the uh, millions of uh, uh, men and women and children in bondage who are now being counted politically as part of your representative uh, assembly, how it would increase uh, your uh, representation uh, in your state legislatures, as well as your national legislatures, which would in turn tend to tip uh, the balance of political power as it relates to laws and statutes and ordinances uh, toward maintaining uh, the very institution that they wanted to make sure uh, stayed uh, in power uh, for as long as possible. So then we've got the added legislative uh, piece to it, uh, then comes with the prestige. And as you said earlier, uh, more slaves, more power, uh, more prestige. Uh, and when you have more slaves in a state or in a region or in a town as well, as you do have its own citizens, uh, then there are the families that are the offsprings of the landholders and the landowners and the slaveholders who also uh, have their prestige and their honor and their dignity being upheld as well. And why would not they continue uh, along this line of thinking of what we call WP now, and that is white privilege. And that, that term is now being used quite often. And uh, many are saying, yes, we are products of white privilege. And as a result, they understand that their privilege came not because of 
so much of their own ingenuity and their own labor, but at the labor and expense of others where they are able now to maintain their WP. And as you said about the wealth, about how all of the millionaires, yes, uh, cotton at one time uh, was called cotton is king. That was that uh, uh, Southern state's uh, slogan, cotton mm -hmm. is king. Yes. And, and so uh, even uh, in growing up, uh, we had cotton carnivals that celebrated mm -hmm. the harvesting, the planting and the harvesting of cotton. But many of us who were the ones who were doing the planting and the tilling of the, of the land and the harvesting of the cotton, uh, it wasn't a celebration for us. Uh, and then that there was this great uh, carnival that they had in the states uh, that was called where they had the queens that were uh, that were vying uh, for the title of queen of cotton and king of cotton, and 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 they went around the world promoting cotton as an industry, and so mm -hmm. there was the wealth and there was the power. And that was the prestige that went along without it, with it, excuse yes. me. Mm -hmm. The late mm -hmm. Dr. Martin Luther King said this about the church. He said that the 11 o'clock hour in America is the most segregated hour in the nation. And yes. it was recognized, it was recognized and continues to be recognized as the most segregated hour in America. Unfortunately, yes. uh, Dr. Holly and our listening audience, uh, the proliferation of uh, modern technology, especially with uh, television, and the advent of many Christian uh, television and radio programs has not adequately addressed the need for racial reconciliation as well as for the evening, evening of the, of the uh, and leveling of the playing field as it relates to economics. Mm -hmm. and, Absolutely. If, and because of the fact that economics of the South and other offsprings and offshoots of this industry fared so well, it would seem to me that those who are in positions to address these things have shown uh, very little inclination to do so. And when they do, it is a glossing over uh, of the situation. And unfortunately, uh, mass media has also painted us as being the instigators of so much of the unrest when the power to change the situation in America 
lies not so much with the minority, but with the majority. And we're saying, uh, my premise is this, is that since the church had a hand in uh, instigating and instituting and perpetuating uh, racism in America, it must also equally have a hand in alleviating the problems that we're dealing with because of racism in America. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, Doctor. Absolutely. And, and, and Doctor, people fail to really realize that the Civil War only ended institutionalized slavery, but it did not end institutionalized racism. Because those who had that mindset kept that mindset even after the Civil War. Now, there are some people who would actually say that the, that the Civil War solved our slavery problem. It did not. It, it, it did not. It, it, it solved institutionalized slavery, but not institutionalized racism. Fast forward after the Civil War on up to 1961 in my home state of Alabama, the Freedom Bus Riders, being led by John Lewis, were coming to Montgomery in order to march for freedom. Okay, and they were brutally attacked, brutally attacked, beaten, knocked unconscious. And guess who did it? Church folk. And even church, some church people brought their children. Listen to me now, their children and held their children up to the freedom bus riders while their children scratched and gnawed at their faces. 1961, attack. Now, one of the pastors in, this, in the Alabama area spoke out a few weeks after that attack. His name is Henry Lyons Jr., a very prominent pastor in, in the South here. Listen to what he stood up and said just weeks afterwards. He says, ladies and gentlemen, for 15 years, I have had the privilege of being a pastor of a white Baptist church in this city. He said, we stand 100 years. If we stand 100 years from now, it will still be a white church. I am a believer in a separation of the races, and I am nonetheless a Christian. The crowd applauded. That same pastor had a son. His son, however, did not share his father's white supremacy beliefs. His son went on to pastor a different church. And when a interviewer asked him, why do you not talk about racism in your church? His son's response was, I don't see the need to get people all upset. And that is exactly what you were talking about, Dr. Adams, when you referenced Martin Luther King's letter stating that our white brothers and sisters, too many of them, have not stood up and challenged racism in their own congregations and called it out for the sin that it really is. Yes, sir. And it is a sin because uh, Christianity is built on the premise uh, 
of unity. It is built upon the premises of come, let us reason together, said the Lord. It is built upon the premises of one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God over us all. And when one is deprived and when one is depressed and when one is oppressed, then all of us are suffering because no chain is stronger than its weakest link. And if the weakest link is uh, lessened or, or weakened uh, by oppressive forces of which that person has nothing to do with. And unfortunately, uh, our uh, brothers of the lighter hue, brethren, sisters as well, have come to realize that we as a black people did not bring ourselves to America. Now, we have to understand as well that the same ship that brought blacks also brought whites. Mm -hmm. But the only That's thing right. is, is that we were on, on the under the under decks and they were on the upper decks. And many times, if you never look and see what's underneath the next, next deck, deck, you are under the false illusion and assumption that everything must be all right. And so because of the fact that we were not able to uh, scream out for ourselves, and when we did, uh, as in the book Roots, uh, we either got a hand cut off or a foot chopped off or lashings and beatings and even lynchings to the point that it was designed to keep us in our place. And there are some people now who feel like that when we ask for what America has, and because of the fact that we have helped to build this nation, that we are not entitled to anything but the crumbs that fall off the table or the kibbles and the bits that they provide. And so, uh, as I said last week, uh, the church has helped to temper a lot of our anger because if it had not been for the Bible that they tried to exclude and that the, that same Bible uh, that they modified, if it had not been for that Bible and the spirit of God being placed in men and women, we easily could have had one of the worst race riots in the history of a civilized nation. And because of that, I think America needs to wake up and stop trying to deny a people who have been denied for so long and come, let us reason together and let's work these things out. And it has to start, I believe, with the church. 
Absolutely, doctor. Absolutely. And in over 400 years, after over 400 years now, how could it be that 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 racism can be continually taught and learned in a place where it should be condemned, which is the Christian church? Um, one on one online article entitled White Christian America Needs a Moral Awakening. It's dated July 2020. And it sums up the moral issue, Dr. Adams. And what it says is white Christian churches have not just been complacent in failing to address racism, rather as the dominant cultural power in the U.S. Yes, white churches are the dominant cultural power in the U.S. They have been responsible for constructing and sustaining a project to protect white supremacy. Wow, what a stunning condemnation of the church. And I just have to, have to say this, Dr. Adams, Christ is not gonna mm -hmm. come back for a racist church. He's gonna come back for a church without spots of blemish. And I thank God that he's given the church, giving the church right now time to straighten up and time to do right, time to call slavery and racism what it really is, a sin in the eyesight of God. And I believe he's given the church time to do just that. And I'm so happy to report today that there are several movements and several things that are happening that are really showing that people in the church are really waking up. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, sir. And, and in fact, I just read an article about the Southern Baptist Convention, the recent Southern Baptist Convention, and that some of them have decided to drop the name Southern from Baptist. Mm -hmm. hmm. And they are finally, some of them are finally recognizing something. This is what the article says. It says 50,000 Baptist churches in the convention are are, are, are are autonomous and can still choose to refer to themselves as Southern Baptist, or they call it SBC, SBC. Mm -hmm. But in his first interview on the topic, convention president J.D. Greer said, our Lord Jesus was not a white Southerner, but born a brown-skinned Middle Eastern refugee said Greer, who this summer used the phrase Black Lives Matter in a presidential address and announced that he would retire a historic gavel named for an enslaver. So every week we, get, we gather to worship a savior who died for the whole world, he said. Not one part of it, what we call ourselves should make that clear. Those are some hopeful words from a leader of the Southern Baptist Convention. Wow. I believe that God is just, is, is just doing some things. He's working on some people's hearts. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And that's what uh, Christianity is. It's about a change of heart uh, to view life 
through the lens of Jesus Christ and how he would handle situations and circumstances uh, as uh, they came about. And one thing that we can say, life has many twists and has many turns, and we have to be able uh, to adjust. Uh, we have to be able to overcome. We have to be able to achieve. And it will take all of us. Unfortunately, the uh, the impetus has been placed upon us as people of color uh, to bring about change. And I believe that when those who are in authority, uh, those that are in uh, positions of power, uh, who have the command of the airwaves uh, to be able to do these things, uh, then uh, it's necessary for us as a people to rally together, to galvanize our forces together uh, and become what the Pledge of Allegiance says, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Otherwise, if not, then what we have is what Paul would call noise of sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. We're just talking, but we are not making any headways or action being done to make sure that the playing field is level. And the only way that I see it, that it can happen for all of the other institutions to line up is for the church to be of one heart and one mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely, Dr. Dr. Adams. We've got to go back to the two greatest uh, commandments that Jesus said, love God and love your neighbor. And so racism is not loving one's, one's neighbor. Um, I, I just want to share just this, this last thing. Here is a, a survey that was done in July of this year, July 2020, and it was entitled Racism Among White Christians is Higher Than Among Non-Religious. And here is what, what, what it actually concludes. Mm. It says oh. white Christians are consistently more likely than whites who are religiously unaffiliated to deny the existence of structural racism. Now, can you believe that? Wow. Christians in the church, wow, Christians in the church would deny structural racism more often than people who don't even go to church. What is, what is that telling us? That's telling us that they're being systematically taught consciously and subconsciously that racism is not a major issue and anything that happens is or is just isolated incidents they're being told this this stuff in church by leaders subconsciously and consciously wow yes sir yes sir and dr holly um for 400 years um this is what has been uh, subconsciously uh, ingrained into 
the masses' minds. Uh, you know, it's it it's it's not as bad as they say it is. Mm-hmm. We can mm-hmm. we can you know we want to gloss over it, and there are some people say, uh, well, you know, uh, I, I'm not responsible that for what happened. Uh, in 1619 and all the way up, uh, I, in, in my generation, in my family right now, uh, we don't feel that way. And so we shouldn't be held responsible for the sins of the past. And I will say to people, uh, though you may not have uh, actively been involved, but now you must actively be a part of the solution since you did admit that your parents and grandparents and your descendants were those who actually were perpetrators of slavery as well as racism in America. You do have a moral and a spiritual responsibility to help to alleviate the wrongs and make them become the rights of this present and future. Absolutely, absolutely, doctor. And I always say that there are three places that a person can stand today concerning racism, three places. The first place I will refer to as a racist. Either you believe in in racial supremacy and separation, and you actively support people who do, and you do things that indicate that you do. So number one place is racist. The number two place is the non-racist. Now this is the place where the person says, well, I don't have a problem. I don't have an issue, you know, but I'm not going to speak up. I'm not going to speak out. I just want to wash my hands of it. I just want to live a nice, quiet, peaceful life. That's the non-racist. That's the passive person. And then the third place is a anti-racist. Now, the anti-racist is the person who not only believes in supremacy and in separation, they don't believe that. They're not a racist, but they also believe in actively standing up and speaking out. So the anti-racist then speaks out against it wherever it occurs, whether it's in their family or in society or in their occupation or even in their church. This person stands up and actively speaks out against racism and they support social justice movements and groups and they preach the truth that racism is a sin. It is not of God. It is a sin. So I'm asking the listening audience, where are you? Are you the racist? the believer in supremacy and separation and you actively fight against fight against black people and minorities and so forth. Are you the non-racist? You're just a person who says, I'm not a racist, but I'm just comfortable in my lifestyle. I don't want to give up. I want to risk anything. Or are you a anti-racist? A person who actively speaks up, speaks out, loses a few so-called friends, but you gain the love and the respect of God. Why are you? Wow. Thank you, Dr. Holly, uh, for that most profound uh, statement. Uh, we are 
discussing racism in America. And we're not here to open and, and, uh, and to make wounds greater, uh, but we're here to see if we can offer some solutions for healing the racial divide uh, that has separated us for so long. And we ask you uh, to pray with us and pray for us and for this nation uh, that rec racial reconciliation and healing will come about because we want to do it. We don't want Jesus Christ to come and do it for us because when he intervenes, it's not very good for anybody. And he will take up the mantle when we can only go as far as we humanly can. So we have been bringing to you the Crossroads podcast this morning. Uh, my special and profound and prolific co-host has been none other than Professor Dr. C.L. Harley of Alabama. I want to thank him and I want to thank you and all of the listening audience on this morning as we are being empowered to do what others have so desired to do. And let us not let our Savior down. Thank you so very much, and may God bless you, and may God keep you is our prayer. Dr. Holly, do you have a closing remark? No, uh, doc, Dr. Adams, I have just been thrilled to sit here and share and listen to you, and you are so very correct, sir. It is such an important time for us, not only for the church, but for everyone on earth. We must overcome racism. We must. And thank you so much, very sir, for having me again. You've been listening to our podcast entitled Crossroads, where North and South meets East and West. God willing, we will see you next time at 10 o'clock a.m. Central Standard Time on next Saturday. Be blessed to be a blessing to someone else. God love you.